Good morning, friends. How are we this morning? Man, I don't know about you, but this weekend was one of the most amazing weekends. It was fall, so it was beautiful outside, but yet it was like 78 degrees. Anybody else do something fun outside to this weekend? Four of you? Awesome. Maybe I was the only one. If you went by my house, we did nothing but play baseball with my boys all weekend long, and it was amazing. Um, if you're joining us online, thank you so much for joining us. And I wanted to, to quickly say uh, thank you for your patience when it comes uh, to streaming online. Uh, it has been a journey for us to figure out how to, to do nothing to now doing everything. So thank you for your patience. And honestly, we ordered all of our equipment in March, and all of it is still not here yet. So... Uh, thank you for your patience, and when it does get here and we get it finished, if you still don't like it, you can contact Tyler Leland at tleland at bachelorcreek.com. So just send him an e email or call the church, and uh, he'll be glad to hear your complaining. If you are new here this morning, welcome. My name is David Diener. I'm the high school pastor here, uh, and I do some other odds and ends. Um, I love uh, this morning we are starting a new series entitled Jesus for President. And I loved a couple weeks ago when Stan announced uh, this was a series we're going to be starting soon, and uh, the reaction from you guys was a lot of nervous chuckles, right? It was, it was, it was really funny. I, had to, I was up there doing the live streaming, and I was like, what, what, what just happened? Because I heard something, but I couldn't figure it out. It was like, a lot of people were nervous, and a lot of people were laughing. So we'll see, because I know there's no more controversial, divisive, hate-filled, tension-creating Saturday Night Live mimicking topic in America today like there is the election. Am I right? We've all felt it. If you haven't already, you haven't turned on the television or listened to the radio, and I'm sure you haven't gotten on Facebook. It is everywhere. So what does that mean for us as a church? What does it mean for followers of Jesus in the midst of this season? So we're going to unpack that a little bit uh, this morning and in the following weeks. But I want to start off with a story. I was a sophomore uh, in college at the, the university formerly known as Cincinnati Christian University. Uh, may it rest in peace. Uh, we all know that like most college students, uh, I was poor. Did not have a lot of money. Uh, when it comes to furniture, you had one of two options, right? You, had a, you either had option A of dumpster furniture, something that somebody had thrown away the previous year that you find and put in your dorm room, or you have option B, you find whatever Target or Walmart is selling that year to try to entice college students to buy. We're all guilty of this, right? Do I have any dumpster furniture people in the room? I see some hands. Thank you. I was one of those people. Not well, I roomed with Tyler Leland, but he refused to let me get dumpster furniture for some reason. So we got this Target Walmart chair, and it was this uh, pumpkin chair. You know the circular ones that is kind of scooped? It's really, really uncomfortable, uh, but I didn't care. It allowed me to play Xbox and sometimes do my homework, uh, but it was, it was this brilliantly terrible chair, and here's where it was awesome. One day, Tyler and I figured out there are collapsible chairs you can, for storage. We realized the way it's set up is you open it up, and there are two buttons on the side that you push that pops it into place, well, we found out one day, if you pop those buttons halfway in, the chair will collapse as soon as somebody sits on it. Man, was it amazing. <laughs> we would bring person into person into our room. Hey, sit down. We want to talk to you. Something deep spiritual. Collapse. Oh, it was amazing. We literally even made a top 10 video of the 10 best falls in our dorm room. It's still on YouTube. I'll post it this afternoon, or Taylor may post it in the feed if you're watching online. Don't watch it now. Let's save it for later. So it was amazing until it wasn't. It was a fateful fall Saturday morning. 
I was rolling out of bed at about 11.45, like most college students, right? And it was a beautiful Saturday college football field afternoon that I was ready for. I get out of bed and I go, go to the common area to warm up my instant mac and cheese and my hot dog with ketchup, right? Life doesn't get better. I'm gonna plop on my chair, watch the games. It's gonna be amazing. Well, I was out warming up my mac and cheese, you can bet. My neighbor, who was my friend, Josh, comes and sets the chair on me. I come back, spirits high, ready to go, and I plop down on that chair, and down I go, in scalding hot macaroni and cheese all over me, ketchup and hot dogs everywhere. It looks like, honestly, like I got shot. There was so much ketchup and stuff everywhere. It was terrible. I was mad, so I slammed the door. Honestly, I chucked the chair because I was so mad at the thing. And I'm, I'm trying to clean myself off. And all of a sudden, I just hear this. I'm like, I'm not talking to whoever's at that door because I may punch him in the face because they're probably the one that just set up my chair. And they just keep knocking. And finally, like, Diener, you in there? I don't answer. I can smell the mac and cheese. I know you're in there. It was terrible, man. It was so, I was so embarrassed. Uh, I was so upset. The chair got pulled right out from underneath me. When I expected it to be firm and confident to hold all of my weight, it fell flat on the ground. And when you think about that feeling, knowing that this is supposed to support me, this is going to be there, and it's not, I think we've all felt that feeling before. We've had moments in our lives where something that should have happened or something that was supposed to happen, whether it be a chair or promotion or whatever it is, something where you expected something to happen didn't end up happening, right? We've all felt that feeling. As we begin this series, Jesus for President, I want you to think about that feeling over and over and over again. And you're thinking, why? That's weird. Because here's the deal. When we look at the Sermon on the Mount, which is what we're going to be studying in the following weeks... These are words we've all heard before. If you've been in church at all, you've heard these words probably over and over and over again. But I want you to understand the weight of these words. That these words were not typical. These words were not normal. Many of these words was like Jesus pulling out the chair and setting the people up to fall because Jesus twisted everything upside down. And what was normal was no longer normal in the kingdom of God. And so I want you to think about that. As we think about the next few weeks and as we study and learn together, think about that feeling of the time where you thought something was going to happen and it didn't because Jesus does this over and over again. And we would love, as we prepare for this series, uh, probably on Thursdays, we're going to be posting what we're going to be studying that follow, following Sunday. So if you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, uh, make sure to check that out. Because So this week we're studying Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12. So we put that online. Hopefully some of you saw that and read that. And then this Thursday we'll post what we're following going to be studying next Sunday. And the other thing we're going to do is Wednesdays at one o'clock on Facebook Live, we're going to dig a little bit deeper in this, in, into the sermons each week. So we would hope you join us on, at one o'clock on Sundays, or I mean Sundays, on Wednesdays at well as we dig in uh, together. But really before we start digging into Jesus' words, I want you to imagine something with me. Imagine stained glass windows. I love stained glass windows. I think they're really pretty. We've got some stained glass windows here, and I also found some of my favorite ones online. You can show those. Um, they're really cool, maybe. There we go. I love it. I love the, the sun and how they connected the three windows together. I think it's really cool. You can go to the next one. 
the tree, the, just the intricacy, the details is just really fascinating to look at. You can go to the next one. Man, that's cool. You can go to the next one. I love the peacock. And I figured I'd, I would end with the most spiritual one, <laughs> being Darth Vader. But I love stained glass windows because I love the fact that all these pieces come together to create a bigger picture, right? Like the picture wouldn't happen if there was a bunch of little pieces there. Every single person, every single piece is important to the greater picture. And the reason I want you to think about that is this morning as we study the Beatitudes together here in Matthew chapter 5, I believe that as we study the Beatitudes, each one of them is a smaller piece and a bigger picture. And I believe at the end of this, when we put the pieces together, Scripture and Jesus will create a very clear image that we should be looking to this morning. So if you would, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. As we begin to look at the Sermon on the Mount and we study the Beatitudes this morning. Matthew chapter 5, we will be reading together verses 1 through 12. All right, here we go. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So remember when I said that much of Jesus' say will not be what people expect? Here we have exhibit A, right? Right from the start, Jesus is saying what most people in that day saw as nonsense. It's the opposite of what society thought. It's the opposite of the way people are living. And honestly, it's still the opposite of how society functions a lot today too, isn't it? So why are they blessed when all of society would say they are far from it? Jesus is just pulling out that chair. And he's beginning to help people realize that the kingdom of God does not care about the kingdom of earth standards. It does not care what people are supposed to do, who they are supposed to be. Jesus is saying that the kingdom of heaven is ushering in a new era that is above all other expectations and what people's realities are, right? With God, not all things are as you expect. It never has been, and it never will be. So what do each of these Beatitudes actually mean for us today in the year that has been 2020? Let's break it down a little bit more. So blessed are the poor in spirit. The translation for poor in spirit actually means a couple things. First off, unfavorable economic situation, right? They are poor. They have no money. They have nothing to their name. They're homeless. They have no resources. They have no way to get out of where they're at. And it also refers to lack of status and social rights. And many of that is because they are poor, right? That day, your amount of money was tied to your amount of status. Like they were connected and blessed are the poor in spirit have neither one of those. Basically, Jesus is saying, blessed are the people with no money, no power, and no rights. The next one, blessed are those who mourn. This means that blessed are those who are grieving. 
those who are sad because life continues to over and over and over again let you down. It's not referring to a single instance like, I am sad because so-and-so passed away or this bad thing happened in my life. While those things are really sad moments, don't get me wrong. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who are mourning their entire life. Life continues to let them down time after time after time. And another way of looking at the Beatitude connects back to Isaiah 61. It said, blessed are those who mourn because of the sin they see all around them. So not necessarily because you're mourning about things that have happened in your life, but you mourn because of other people's lives and how they are so far from God, how they are so far from doing what God wants in their life that you just mourn. The sadness we feel is because we see so many bad choices being made by the people closest to us. You are blessed if you are so distraught because life continues to let you down and there's so much evil around you in your world. Blessed are the meek. This is saying that those who are powerless to the world are blessed. They're unable in their own strength, able to fight back against the oppression of the world. They see today, honestly, we see meekness as weakness, cowardly, passive. That's honestly what most people think of when when they think of meekness. But that's just not what Jesus is speaking to here. Jesus is not. He's saying, blessed are those who are just unable to come, come around and overcome their circumstances in their life. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There are a couple thoughts about what this means. The first is blessed are those who just can't seem to follow God's call for their life. No matter how much you want to in your life, no matter how much I want to in my life, I just can't seem to get it right. I just can't seem to follow God the way he wants me to. And the other way to look at it connects back to verse four, which talks about those who hunger and thirst for righteousness uh, for those around you. Like, you want so much for other people to hunger and thirst for God, and they're just not. So Jesus is saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not only for yourself, but for other people as well. You want that so much, just like you do food and water. That's how much you want to follow Jesus with every single part of who you are. Blessed are the merciful. We are to simply show mercy to those who are unworthy, those who are guilty, and those who you know are wrong. God wants us to do nothing more than to extend the same amount of grace that God has sent to us. And if you're wondering how much grace has God extended to me, go ahead and ask the person next to you because I guarantee you'll give, they'll give you an honest answer about how much grace you've received from God. Stephen, you can talk to Stan if you need to since nobody's sitting next to you. right? I guarantee if you want to know how much grace you've been given, talk to your spouse, talk to your brother, talk to your sister, talk to your best friend because trust me, we all need a lot of grace and a lot of mercy. Am I right? And Jesus is saying, you are blessed if you extend the same amount of mercy to other people's, other people just like you have received from me. Blessed are the pure in heart. Pure in heart are those whose loyalty and purpose solely wrapped up in one thing and one alone, and that is Jesus. No more of what you want, no more of making life choices based on what you want to happen, but solely based on what God wants What are your motives? That's the core question of this beatitude. And honestly, we're going to dig into your motives a little bit uh, later in a couple weeks for the Sermon on the Mount. But the gist is this. In your deepest inmost parts, all God wants is for you to follow him above all things. 
Blessed are the peacemakers. Peacemakers are more than those who are peaceful. It's about God calling us to actively seek out peace in the world around us. That means a relationship that's not healthy in your own life, you need to seek peace with that person. The two friends you have who aren't getting along, that means you should be mediating those friends and help them seek peace. But here's the deal. Peace is not an easy thing to do, and a lot of us don't like to do it. I love what Thomas A. Kempis says. He says, all men desire peace, but very few desire the things that make for peace. Right? We all want everybody to get along, right? But do you want to do the things to help everybody get along? And most of us don't. And you notice, Jesus doesn't say, blessed is the peacekeeper. He said, blessed is the peacemaker. Maker, which is an action. I'm not good at English, but I'm pretty sure it's an action verb or something like that. It should be something we're actively doing in the eyes of people, not like keeping the peace, I'm gonna get along with my bros, right? The turmoil you see in your life, the injustices that are going in your life, are you actively seeking peace in those people's lives? It's not peacekeeper, it's peacemaker. And God's saying, you are blessed if you make peace. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. Very simply, you are blessed if you are persecuted for what you live out and believe. And while we are, are called to seek peace, we also know some people can get mad at you in your life, right? Anybody ever been mad at before by somebody else? Most of you are lying, cool. Now's the time to repent of that. Right, blessed are those who are mistreated and people will get angry with you. People will not like what you do, but let's be clear, the one thing they do not like is not you, but it's what God is doing inside of you. It always, at the foundation, must be about what Jesus is doing inside of you. And we see this in the verses following this beatitude, expand upon this. And basically the gist Jesus is saying is, blessed are you if people hate you so much because you are like me. I don't know about you, I don't know if there's a better compliment that I would like to receive that. I hate you because you are too much like Jesus, right? Anybody else love for somebody to say that about you? Fortunately, nobody's ever said that about me, so I don't know what that says, right? But that, that's what he's saying. We should be thrilled when we are persecuted, when we are being like Jesus, not when we're being like David. We shouldn't be thrilled when people are, are mad at me because I'm being too much like David, but when we are so much like Jesus, we are persecuted because of it. And I know what you're thinking right now. How can Jesus expect and ask all of these things of us? That's a huge, difficult list, am I right? Some of you guys would rather just leave right now because I just can't do that. There is no way. And I've got good news for you, and I have bad news for you. Jesus isn't necessarily saying, if you want the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, you have to follow this checklist. Jesus never gives a checklist to follow him. And this isn't another list that you have to check off the box to make sure you get into heaven, to make sure you have that eternal relationship with Jesus. He's not asking you to check off the box. But what Jesus is describing here are the characteristics of people who are in the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again. It's not a checklist you have to follow, but Jesus is simply saying the people who are in the kingdom of heaven, the people who are blessed, are the people who have these attributes 
these characteristics. It's much like the fruit of the Spirit, right? Jesus never says, you must have every single one of these in your life, otherwise you are going to hell. He doesn't say that. But how do you tell if you have the Spirit inside of you? You have the fruit, right? That's how you know if the Holy Spirit is inside of you, if your fruit is there. And it's the same way. How do you know if you're in the kingdom of heaven, you've got that relationship with down, these characteristics, these attributes should describe you. It's not a checklist, but man, these should be describing your life as a follower of Jesus. I want to go back a little bit. Because anytime we read scripture, context is important. You, don't, you can't just go to scripture and say, I want to say this, and I want to say this, and this, and this, to say exactly what I want it to say. So we're going to go back a little bit to chapter 4, or we're going to read what's happening leading up to the Sermon on the, on the Mount. And I think it's important to say today before we kick off the next five weeks, who is Jesus actually speaking to here? So let's go to chapter 4, Matthew, and read verses 23 through 25. Here's what it says. Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News spread about him all over Syria, and the people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering in severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, the paralyzed, and Jesus healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan all followed him. So it's important to note here in this moment who is following Jesus. It's the sick. It's the powerless. It's the downcast, the outcasts. These are the people following Jesus. It's not the rich. It's not the wealthy. It's not the uber spiritual. It's the lowest of lows. These people, because of their circumstances, had absolutely nothing. And you see, 2,000 years ago, if you were any of these people, you were at the bottom of society, and every single person around you made sure you knew it. You had no hope. You had no way of getting anywhere in life, and people looked down upon you because of it. Literally, depending on the sickness or disease, you literally would have to go around while saying, I'm unclean, unclean, unclean. You literally couldn't stand upwind from people. People looked down on you so much. And then there's Jesus. He goes to them, he meets them, he heals them, he interacts with them. And for the first time in so many of these people's lives, Jesus shows their life has value. So that's who's following Jesus. Let's keep reading again. Let's read again Matthew 5, 1 and 2 to see who Jesus is actually speaking to. So now we know who's following Jesus. Now, Matthew 5, 1 through 2, it says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, remember the poor, the sick, the worst of the worst, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So here he is teaching the disciples, but all the sick, all the poor, all the powerless are sitting there watching and listening to Jesus' words to the disciples. And the disciples themselves, you have to understand, are also brand new followers of Jesus. Right before we see Jesus healing these people, giving them value, the thing he does right before that is get some of his disciples. So some of the disciples, a lot of them still have the main uh, outlook on life that everybody else does. 
They're not really living for Jesus yet, per se. And so in a lot of ways, this is setting the foundation for Jesus' entire ministry with his disciples because this is the first, these are the first statements, things for the next five weeks. This is what he's teaching the disciples is the fundamentals of ministry. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. So Jesus' sin, just like today, is unlike any leader that's ever been before. And he is, I promise, unlike any candidate that has ever been or ever will be. So when we started this morning, I asked you to think about a stained glass window as we think about the Beatitudes. And I think if we, we take all these pieces of the Beatitudes out and we create a picture, I think we create a, a pretty clear one. Can you see it yet? Can you think of anybody who came from poor circumstances, maybe was born in a stable? Someone who grieved so much over the things he saw around them. Someone who was extremely important and extremely powerful, but yet chose not to use his power to overcome his circumstances. Someone who longed to see God's world set right more than anything else on this earth. Someone who throughout his life showed more mercy and more grace than anyone else who has ever or will ever walk this earth. Someone whose life was completely devoted to the kingdom above all things, and someone who stood up for the powerless, who stood up for people like you and me, so much so that he was tortured and eventually killed on a cross. The picture the Beatitudes are creating here is a pretty clear picture of Jesus. Do you see it? It's a pretty clear picture of Jesus. I think the question for us this morning kind of comes down to this. Well, the service level question is, are the characteristics and qualities in, described in the Beatitudes, do they describe you? But I think the foundational question is this, do the pieces of your life reflect Jesus? When they put all the different aspects of your life, everything that you are, do they reflect Jesus? Guys, that is the bottom line question that only you can answer this morning and every single day you wake up. Do the pieces of your life display Jesus? Do they reflect Jesus? When you take all that you are, not leaving pieces out, not holding them to the cells, when you just put everything out there, is it a complete and full picture of Jesus? Jesus wants and deserves every single piece of our life. More than just Sunday morning, he deserves every single piece of your life. So you as a parent, do you reflect Jesus? You as a child, do you reflect Jesus? You as a spouse, do you reflect Jesus? You as a boss, do you reflect Jesus? As a neighbor, do you reflect Jesus? On the golf course, do you reflect Jesus? As a friend, do you reflect Jesus? As a grocery store worker, do you reflect Jesus? As a driver who just got cut off, do you reflect Jesus? As a single mom, do you reflect Jesus? When your kids talk back to you for the hundredth time that day, do you reflect Jesus? When your best friend just stabbed you in the back, do you reflect Jesus? When you get passed up for that promotion, do you reflect Jesus? When you're meeting with the broken and the hurting, do you reflect Jesus? In every single moment, when you're alone in your, with your cell phone, do you reflect Jesus? Does your bank account show? Does it reflect Jesus? Does your free time reflect Jesus? 
Just like the Beatitudes reflects Jesus, every single part of our life needs to reflect Jesus. And do you know why? What happened this week in Wabash? That is why we need people reflecting Jesus, because there are broken people out there. There are people hurting like you guys have probably never experienced before, and they don't need another critic on Facebook. They don't need somebody else saying, oh, that's too bad. They need people with the skin, the hands and feet of Jesus to love them the way Jesus would. That's what this world needs. That's what Wabash needs. We don't need candidates with empty promises saying they'll do this when they get ready and saying they'll do that. We need people loving like Jesus every single day. Nothing more, nothing less, friends. Jesus deserves it, and every single people, person out there has value because of Jesus. That means we should treat them like Jesus. And it's got to start here, friends. Do you reflect Jesus with every single part that you, that, 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 that you are? I want to read through the Beatitudes one more time. This time I'm going to read the message version by Eugene Peterson. And I feel like he very clearly communicates the Beatitudes in a way that is understood and that we can live out. You are blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. You are blessed when you feel like you've lost what's most dear to you. Only then can you be remembered by the one most dear to you. You are blessed when you are content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud odors of everything that can't be bought. You are blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's the food and drink and the best meal you ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you'll find yourself cared for. You are blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of comp compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourself blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do. And all of heaven applauds and know you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Jesus had a lot of the people on that mountainside, the disciples, and guys, he asked a lot of us too. But one of the things I love about Jesus is that what he's always done for us always precedes what he asked for us. What Jesus has done for us always will precede what he asked from us. And what he's done is die on a cross for you and for me. Despite our failures, despite our sin, there was Jesus. You guys know what the most beautiful part of a stained glass window is? To me, it's how every single piece of glass must be broken to reflect the picture. There is not one complete whole piece of glass 
in a stained glass window. Have you ever thought about that? Every single piece must be broken. And some of you may be sitting here thinking, David, I am too broken. I just can't do it. I have messed up too many times in my life. That's just not true. Friends, God wants to use every single piece of you, no matter how broken, even the broken ones, especially the broken ones, to glorify so we can reflect Jesus in every part of we are. So if you're sitting in this room today and you feel like you're, you're too broken, know that you're not. Your past failures, your past sins no longer define you. But what Jesus did on a cross does. And he died for you. And he died for me. Will you let the pieces of your life reflect Jesus? Let's pray. God, we are so humbled that you love us when we don't deserve it. God, when we do wrong, you still love us. So God, I, I pray today that we can begin to look at our lives and ask ourselves the question, do the pieces of our life reflect you? Do the pieces of our life reflect you? God, help us to do that. In your name I pray, amen. As we sing these last few songs, I want to give you an opportunity. If you, if you have never really given any of the pieces of your life to Jesus, there's no time like this morning. And I would invite you, I'll be in the back porch, either back through one of these windows, or if you just feel like you're so broken and you're so, so distant from God that you would like to talk or have someone pray for you, I would love to do that as well. Or the, the steps are open for you to pray on your own. Let's really reflect. Do the pieces of your life reflect Jesus.